What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. This week, across the whole Locked On Podcast Network, we're counting down the five best moments from each team in the 2019-20 season. If you missed part one of the Lockdown Blazers' best moments, just go back in your feed. It's right there waiting for you. We counted down 5-4-3, which brings us on this episode to number two and number one for those of you who can count backwards. Great work. The second best moment from the Trail Blazers' 2019-2020 season was the emergence of Gary Trent Jr., It took a while for the Gary Trent Jr. experience to really hit. He turned 21 on January 18th, and something about that 21st birthday and opportunity and all those things, it it clicked for Gary Trent Jr. He was playing because the Blazers were down to eight healthy bodies. He was a necessity, but he stuck in the rotation from that point forward because he deserved it. And by the end of the year, he was perhaps the most dependable reserve on the entire roster. And he was certainly significantly more impactful than Amphrey Simons, the previously anointed one. Gary Trent Jr. was not supposed to be here. I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that he was an afterthought or someone that, that the Blazers didn't think uh, was going to be good. It's that the this team does not like to play young guys. They want them to learn behind the scenes. And this year was set up for Gary Trent Jr. to learn behind the scenes. It was set up for Amphrey Simons to be thrown to the wolves, to learn in the fire, to get real NBA rotation minutes and play, you know, 17 to 22 minutes off the bench. And by the end of the year, the second year guard that was contributing as a regular part of the rotation was Trent and not Amphrey. The Blazers, you know, they... they spent multiple draft picks to go get Gary Trent Jr. They valued him. But I think they valued year three Gary Trent Jr. and were surprised with what year two Gary Trent Jr. brought to the table. So that moment, his 30 points in Oklahoma City, the Blazers, uh, you know, limp home with eight healthy bodies. Uh, the the story goes, or I wasn't there, but that, that Trent was like incredibly sick. There was a bug going around the whole team, and he woke up that morning with the bug, but there's only eight healthy dudes, so if he was capable of playing, he wasn't going to knock him down to seven with the flu. He was going to try to go out there and give what he had. What he had was a 30-piece. A but from that point forward, until the season was halted, Gary Trent Jr. averaged 12.2 points, shot 39.8% from three, and had and was playing 28 and a half minutes a night. In those 23 games, he started six of them. But he was a regular contributor when he came off the bench or when he started. Obviously, his minutes a little bigger when those in those games he started because they needed him more for Dame's injuries, yada, yada, yada. But he was part of the rotation regardless of health. And in those 23 games, he also had five such games where he had at least three steals because the story of Gary Trent Jr. is not that he could shoot. I think the Blazers knew he could... Knew when they got him, that he could shoot. He was going to be a shooter. Well, the question is, what else was he going to bring? He's not much of a rebounder. He's not much of a facilitator. His offense is relatively limited to uh, shooting and then leveraging that shooting for like little drives. So pump fake and get past you or you know raise the eyebrows and get into space And when you try to close out on him. But he's not a lead guard. He's not um, someone who's going to initiate a lot of offense. He is a, is a spacer. 
But what he did bring to the table, what, what has changed my perception of what he might be, is that defensive intensity. Five games with at least three steals is a ton. Two of them, he had four steals. He just played really hard on defense. He wasn't locking up the best player in the league, but if you made a mistake in front of him, he was going to take the ball from you. He has a couple highlights this year where he just reaches in with two hands and snatches the ball away from someone. The only other player I've really seen regularly do that is Kawhi Leonard. It's pretty impressive. I don't think Gary Trent Jr. is an all-defense type player, but he is a the makings of a real-life 3 and D wing. Someone who can defend and wants to defend on the wing and someone who can absolutely shoot it. But why this is special to me is that Gary Trent Jr. did something that basically no other Blazers second-year guard has ever done under Terry Stotts. Maybe I'm overstating it a little bit because, uh, you know, Damian Lillard is pretty good in his second year. He did hit a shot, you might remember, with about 0.9 seconds against Houston. But of the uh, draft and groom types, no one has produced like Gary Trent Jr. under in the Stotts era. That's CJ McCollum, that's Will Barton, that's Pat Connaughton, Jake Lehman, and Alan Crabb. All guys that have gone on to get either super paid or become real contributors. I guess Lehman is is not quite that yet. I think his he would have played real minutes, regular real minutes for the T-Wolves, but he was just injured for most of the year. But Barton has gotten multiple contracts from the Denver Nuggets. CJ McCollum's made $200 million since his second year in the league. Pat Connaughton is a regular rotation contributor on the best team in the NBA. And Alan Crabb made $75 bucks because he was maybe a 3 and D wing too. But of those six guys in their second season, no player on the Blazers has averaged more points per game than Gary Trent Jr.'s 6.6, what he averaged for the entire season. Obviously, he averaged way more than them, 12.2, and became a regular contributor in those final 23 games. But even if you look at his whole body of work in the 68 games he played, he averaged 6.6 points. More than CJ, more than Will Barton, more than Alan Crabb, certainly more than Pat Connaughton and Jake Lehman, who spend a lot of the rookie seasons watching. And if you want to get even more granular, none of those six had a higher effective field goal percentage than Gary Trent Jr.'s 51.6. Effective field goal percentage, of course, is regular field goal percentage, factoring in that three-point shots are worth more than two-point shots. These aren't crazy numbers. He isn't several standard deviations better than these guys, and I'm not trying to suggest that he's going to be better than C.J. McCollum. What I am suggesting is the Blazers just don't have too many of their picks contribute, their draft picks contribute so early. And Gary Trent Jr. is what, just is the most productive second-year draft and groom guy the Blazers have had under Stotts. No one has done this. He's better than Simons this year, so he was another guy who was supposed to break out in year two. Add him to the list. That's seven. What makes this special from Gary Trent Jr. isn't isn't the numbers or the counting stats. It's that he wasn't supposed to exactly have this happen. And when he got the opportunity out of necessity, he seized it and wouldn't let it go. He's tough. So obviously was prepared behind the scenes. And he looked like a real NBA contributor. And that's why, for my money, in a season with a lot of dark spots, Gary Trent Jr. emerging as a real NBA rotation player in year two ahead of schedule is the second best moment from the Blazers' 2019-2020 season. In the second segment, I want to give you the best moment of the Blazers' season. You probably know what it is. 
was six games when Damian Lillard was the best player in the NBA and put on one of the great scoring binges and, and just overall play that we've seen in a while. So in the second segment, we'll celebrate Damian Lillard's stretch when there was nobody better in the association than him. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about Postmates. From the early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the recorded game on your DVR, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. They'll deliver your food from every restaurant you can think of right to your door, but they don't just deliver food. They deliver things that make life easier, like grocery delivery or whatever you can think of delivery too, from convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android and find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving my listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it. All right. Still counting down the best moments of the Trailblazers 2019-2020 season. Number two on the list was Gary Trent Jr.'s emergence as a bona fide NBA contributor in year two. GTJ getting ahead of schedule and helping the Blazers look like they found a diamond in the rough or at least a real NBA player in the second round. Whatever whatever metaphor you like better. But the best moment for the Blazers' season was 11 beautiful days from late January to early February when Damian Lillard put on a six-game stretch For the ages. It started against Golden State. 61-10-7. Yep, a franchise record, 61 points. The game itself was a little bit gross, but the performance was elite. The Blazers needed him to have 61. They would have lost without it. So what does he do for an encore? He puts up 47, six boards and eight assists against the Mavericks. The Blazers lose that one, but they bounce back with a home win over the Indiana Pacers when Dame has 50 points, six rebounds, and 13 dimes. A couple nights later against Houston, he has 36 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, his first career triple-double, and arguably his worst game during the stretch is a 36-point triple-double. Following that game in Houston, the Blazers played at LA, the first game in Staples Center after Kobe Bryant's passing, and Damian Lillard played in perhaps what I think is the best game he's ever played. If it's not this one, it's Game 5 against Oklahoma City. That one's probably bigger because it's more important. It's not a regular season game. Uh, it ended with a 37-footer to give him 50 points and close out. You know, you 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 recall. Uh, but this was this is as well as I saw him play all year long. It's certainly on my short list of best performances I've ever seen Dame have. In Staples, 48 points, 9 boards, 10 assists, 2 steals, 17 of 30 from the floor, 7 of 12 from deep. The next night, 
at home against the Utah Jazz. Dame had 51 points and 12 assists. Capping off an absurd six-game streak for the point god, in which he averaged 48.8 points, 7.2 rebounds, 10.2 assists, shot 54.8% from the field, and 57% from three, make that 92% from the line, just throw that on there. He was getting 10 free throw attempts a night. It was the first time in league history someone had made at least six threes in six straight games, as Dame did. It's also one of the great scoring stretches anyone's ever had in the league. Per the Elias Sports Bureau, Damian Lord joined James Harden and Kobe Bryant as the only players to score at least 293 points over a six-game span in the last 20 years. Harden had 296 last January. It's Kobe in 2015. Dame also had 49 three-pointers during that stretch the most of any player in any six-game stretch. You will recall the unanimous MVP, Steph Curry, won that unanimous MVP by bending the league and taking three-pointers at just an absurd clip, but even he had never made 49 threes in a six-game stretch. Oh, yeah, and he was also passing the ball, too. He averaged 10.2 assists during that stretch, like I mentioned, and he was the first player in the league history... The history of the league. To average at least 45 points and 10 assists over any six-game stretch. The dude's Oscar Robertson on steroids. There have been 24 games in Blazers franchise history in which a player has scored at least 47 points. Dame did it five times in six games. Five of the 25 best scoring games in the history of the Trailblazers. He did it in 11 days. And unlike some other streaks that I've mentioned during this uh, countdown, the Blazers were winning these games. They beat Golden State. They beat Indiana. They beat Houston. They beat LA. They beat Utah. A home loss to a good Mavericks team. The only game that they didn't win during the stretch. 5-1. and one. And Dame went bonkers. He never really got back to this level uh, after he got hurt, he kind of had promised, or he before he got hurt, he kind of promised that he, maybe he, he could get back to this and that people thought it was just a little blip on the radar, but he could get back. And if the Blazers needed him to do it, he would get back there. Well, when you're the only dude in league history to average 45 and 10 over a six-game stretch, it seems unlikely you'll get back there. But for this brief moment... Even if you can't touch those heights again, you were reminded of how good Dame was. And I think this Blazer season as a whole was kind of a bummer. And one of the reasons it was a bummer is because there were nights like these where you were reminded that you are watching the best player in franchise history. You are watching the best Blazer of all time at the height of his powers for who knows how much longer. And then he took the height of his powers and pressed the ceiling even further, smashed through the roof, and started cruising around the neighborhood and said, I can be better than you think. And then he did it again. And then he did it four more times. And he spent two weeks as the best player in the league. This was a really special run. And... Watching the team struggle 
when Dame was simply very good was a bummer. And watching them soar when he was the best player in the universe was exhilarating. I don't know that we'll ever see Dame get back to that level. He'll he'll certainly have more performances, like individual one-off games where he were like, oh yeah, this this is that dude. But I don't know if we'll get sustained dominance like we quite saw for that stretch. The end of January, the beginning of February, the best I've ever seen Dame play, the best games I've, only one of them was on the road, the best, the best games I've ever seen consecutively in person, probably. The best straight-up performances, where it's like, can he do it again? I remember talking with some of the Blazers employees and some other media guys, basically just like, well, I mean, this is who he is now. He averages, like, his bad games are 35 and 10. He raised the bar, then he jumped over the bar and did a backflip. That's why it was the best part of the season. I don't think there was a lot of debate. There might be some other debate with the rest of my list, but you're not debating number one. The peak of Damian Lillard. I hope he touches it again. I hope I'm lucky enough to be there and witness him touch it again. He says he can. It's hard to do, but doubting Dame has uh, been a mistake of mine in the past, and I won't do it on this because if... If he says he can kind of get back, I believe him that he can touch this level again. And I think when we're thinking about this season, what we'll remember is that it didn't end or it ended some other time or all that. But when we kind of are further enough removed to remember the, to, to move past sort of the memories of this pandemic, or that seems more like just a, a, a footnote than, than the absolute super headline, and it's never not going to be the biggest part of this story, but what you'll remember about this Blazers season, I bet, is that time when you knew that Damian Lillard was the best player in the NBA because there wasn't anyone doing what he was doing, and he did it every night for two weeks. In the third segment, to close out the show with something a little bit different play you some clips from the Locked On podcast, Rejecting the Screen. Give you a little taste of one of the wonderful shows that's on the network. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. And you're still listening to Locked On Blazers. We counted down the five best moments in Blazers in the 2019-2020 Trailblazers season. If you missed 5-4-3, if you missed the other ones, check your feed. They're there waiting for you. We did one and two today. Gary Trent Jr. and Damian Lillard. But what we're going to do to close out the show is something a little bit different. I want to share with you a best of of one of our best programs on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's called Rejecting the Screen. It's got amazing interviews with NBA people. It uncovers never-told stories or unknown tales from the NBA. And you can subscribe to Rejecting the Screen on iTunes or follow on Spotify. So right now, I'm going to play you a collection of the best of Rejecting the Screen with hosts Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stanko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us to tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, 
went above and beyond to lift his spirits. It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I was, didn't go out in the community at all. And, and, you know, if you did, it was one of people asking you, why aren't you playing? And I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick, and just really low point in my life. And I get a text from Robert Laura, the the Lakers security and was Kobe's like one of his best friends and he said hey what's your address uh I got something in the mail for you and I get the package and it's um an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba um who is my favorite player I'm a Chelsea fan you know it's from Kobe and game worn jersey you know signed Didier Drogba to Adam best wishes and I always thought Kobe you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional. And on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Drogba holding up a jersey, and it says, to Adam, best wishes. So he went up to my favorite player, got uh-huh. it signed for me without me even asking, and sent it to me when he knew I was was low. That's that's what Kobe Bryant was, man. He was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura. When four-time All-Star Sean Marion hung out with us, not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson, he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy. We was at Deshaun Stevenson's house. We had a game in Orlando, and um, we went to his house and you know, a, few, a few of the team, and uh, we was over having bar eating and stuff, and then this tattoo guy came over there, and Jet guy tattooed a tra- trophy on his on his bicep. I was like, damn, dude. I was like, for real? I was like, okay, okay. I'm loving it. I'm loving the, the, the confidence and the swag we have right now. So, like, just let alone – don't nobody else in the world know we're do, we doing this and we're doing this right now because everybody – Everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually actually can do it. You know what I'm saying? So we was one of those teams, and, like, we're sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and, uh, yeah, we was like, yeah. Did he tell you, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo of the trophy? Did you know as it was happening? Or once he got it, he showed you at – it's got a tattoo of the trophy. Well, it was called – it was all kind of one sequence. We been, he's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> we were like, okay, that's what's up. <laughs> I mean, it don't get no better than that. Come on now, it don't get no better. Yeah, than it that. does it. it don't get no better than that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year 16 of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie, as expected. He had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used to call me OG, old head, things like that. And I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T-Mac. I say, T-Mac, first of all, you need to, you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You, you got to stay awake. You, you, you keep falling asleep. I used to tell him and Vince. You guys rather hope that you get the 15 years because you, you little snot-nosed rookies, but, <laughs> you know, they, they, were, they were great, great rookies, great talent. 
Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle, Gary Payton was a rookie point guard. And since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered. And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks. And I remember he kept disrupting practice. And Gary's a smart guy. He had, he had a right to talk in that regard because I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever. Now, but at the time, he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Because right. that's, that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking. You know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, is it a point in time, man, when you all, like, going to say something to him? And Nate was like, man, you know. You know, Nate kind of shook it off. And I said, well, I'm going to say something. And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping and, you know, coaches going over stuff and he yapping, he yapping. And I just finally said, would you shut the F up? About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when K.D. was on the floor. One good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four. We put him in pick and rolls. We encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year, Uh, in the NBA. It's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we we had him do that. And at times we were criticized, like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Why, like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could. Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron in the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could see late in ball games, if he had to draw up plays, we could see he was super nervous, his hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. And when you see that, you understand. Like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this. And it's not his fault because he, he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there. And now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, – I think just Coach Black got hit with too much too soon. But it was easy to tell right away that Coach Black was probably in over his head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid-90s as Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson. I mean, it, was, it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Jason and Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had, we, we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And if, if the woman is that good, please, I want to see what a mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date a mother. Come on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. 
We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey Tries to Get Punched. Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question. You know, we really didn't get along. I, I disliked him on many levels, respected him on many other levels as a player, but, you know, he was a dirty player. And the first time that they showed it to me, I didn't even remember it. Okay. So I did this interview. I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions. And um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, he said, wow, like, what, were you, what were you thinking? I said, I was just doing my job. But I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT, but five years later was hired by Jerry West midseason to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team and was thoroughly confused when it all went down. Jerry West introduced Hubie. I'm 22 years old, we're in Memphis, losing franchise. First time in my life I've ever been a part of anything that was losing. So it's all new to me. Just everything was like new to me. I never, I, it made me, it almost made me sick. He introduces Hubie Brown and I'm thinking, I got to call Bob because we just hired a TNT guy. This is crazy. <laughs> I didn't know his full resume, right? So. The first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, first, I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. <laughs> None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family. See, you got on fire. You're fucking losers. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thanks for listening today. Hope you appreciated that little best of segment. You can find Rejecting the Screen and Locked on Blazers wherever you already get podcasts. Just search the name of the show. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.